Well, welcome back, Celebration Church family and friends. Thank you for watching. It is our hope that each week we can faithfully proclaim God's word to you because we may be restricted, but we believe that God's word is limitless. And so wherever you are watching, we'll ask you to stand as we're going to read these scriptures together. Stand and read with me. Here it is. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Jesus, we adore you. Holy Spirit, we desperately need you. In Christ's name, and everyone said, amen, amen. You may be seated. So here's the thing. What do we do if it seems as though the truths of scripture are different than the realities that we are facing, right? We read together that Jesus came, that we may have life, and not just life, but an abundant life, life to the fullest. And the question is, is the abundant life still true today while many of us are in a season of loss? Well, let me describe this loss a little bit. You've been hearing the term new normal. That means many of us have lost what our normal routines would have been. Many graduating seniors have lost um, the idea of what their graduation was gonna be or what prom was going to look like. Uh, many of us have lost our jobs, sources of income, and even I and my family, I've just recently found out that we have lost a loved one. And so we see that Jesus came and he, pro he provides us promises. And so what happens when, we seem, when it seems as though these promises aren't true to the realities that you and I are facing today? What are we supposed to do? I've heard a couple, they've lost the perfect wedding day, right? They had the plans and, and now things are going to look different. How can we experience the abundant life, even thrive during this time of loss? I believe as believers that we're not only supposed to survive right now, but we are supposed to thrive, that we can abide in Christ in a certain way that we may continue to experience the abundant life that he has purchased for us. So the question is, how can we do that? How can one remain faithful and still be fruitful during these times? Well, we're going to look at Jesus' life tonight and see how he handled, how he navigated loss. And my hope is that as we look at what he did and how he moved, maybe there's some things we can glean from his life that will add value to our experience. And so if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, please turn to John 11, the Gospel of John chapter 11. We're going to begin at verse 32. And my hope tonight, a little bit different, is to provide, you know, I'm not the three-point messenger, right, Pre preacher, but I'm going to give you three points that hopefully will add value to this conversation. Because as many of us are trying to figure out how do we navigate these difficult times, I believe that we can thrive, not only survive in this season of loss, and we're going to look at Jesus's life and see three ways that he handled and navigated loss, right? And so here we are, John chapter 11, and here's your first point. Number one, feel. All right, it's coming up on your screen. Number one, feel. John 11, beginning verse 32, it says this. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came, to, who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. Now, here's what I find interesting. Jesus knew, if you read the text, that he was going to raise Lazarus from the grave. He knew that. 
He knew that. So why is Jesus choosing to feel what others are feeling? Why did Jesus weep? Right. Knowing what he was going to do, we see here in the text that he, he's not only weeping because he saw what others were doing, but his own spirit was vexed. It was greatly troubled. Isn't Jesus supposed to be the joy guy? Right. Is he supposed to be the one, the fixer who makes all things better? It's easy for me if I feel like I can fix it to to brag or to boast of my prowess and power and go, hey, guys, because I'm in the room, everything's okay. Shouldn't Jesus just step up into the room, say, I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. You have nothing to worry about. But that's not what we see. That's not the Jesus we find here in the text. Hear me. He was troubled on the inside, even though he knew he was going to call Lazarus to come outside the tomb. Why should this matter for us today? Well, this is why I believe because Jesus feels it's okay for you and I to feel, to actually feel, to stop and to feel because Jesus feels okay for us to feel. Jesus, the God man proves that our emotions are a part of God's design from God. They are not evil by themselves, right? Sometimes people say the internet is evil. Well, it depends how you use it. Same goes with our emotions. When God designed us, he didn't want us to be robots. And so he gave us emotions to actually feel. It's okay to feel. So during this time, I believe that one way to thrive, not just survive, is to actually feel. Some of us, we need to grieve and find healthy ways of doing that. Scripture commands us to what? Cast all our anxieties onto God. You've heard that before. I've just preached it a couple of weeks ago. To, to cast all our anxieties onto God. But here's my question. How can you cast all your anxieties to God if you have not felt them first? Let me read that again. How can you cast all your anxieties, your worries, concerns onto God if you have not felt them first? So my first point is this, feel, right? Don't dismiss your feelings. Don't suppress your feelings. But please remember, your life should not be ruled by your feelings. Feel them. Don't suppress them. Don't dismiss them. But don't be ruled by them. Feel them. Don't let them rule you. Continue to abide in Christ and submit to the Holy Spirit and allow him to comfort you and to lead you. Here's the thing about believers. We are led, the children of God are led by the spirit of God. We're not led by our own spirits, by our own emotion. Feel them. Don't let them rule you. So number one, to thrive in this time, not only to survive, but I believe to experience the abundant life that Christ promised us is to feel. Number two, find space. Find space. Where do I see that? Well, Matthew 14, 13 says, now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a, in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. So number one, feel. Number two, find space. What did Jesus hear to cause him to get into a boat and to remove himself from other people? What did he hear? What was the news? Well, the news, if you're reading, is that he heard that a loved one of his has passed away his cousin, John the Baptist, and it was a brutal death. He needed some alone time. Now, here's the thing about Jesus. Wherever he went, people followed. And in this text, you see something that I think you and I can relate to. Have you ever tried to find space, create some time for yourself, but your spouse still needs you, your kids still need you, you still have demands from your job or this world? Well, Jesus can relate. 
It says that as he's trying to find space, that the crowds from the towns followed him on foot. So what does Jesus do? Well, and what can we do? Well, even as we find space for ourselves, we must remain loving and friendly towards others. It can be easy right now as the stress builds and as the tension seems really, really thick in the room, right? That first go, I just need space and to be short with people and to get angry with people. But we also need to remind ourselves to remain loving and friendly as we try to find ways to find space. We see this in the next verse, Matthew 14, 14 says, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. This is huge for us, church. As you try to find space, as you feel what you feel, please love people, right? Let's not be selfish. We must be careful not to use the term self-care to mask our selfishness, right? We can't say self-care and that means putting other people down, not being compassionate, not being sympathetic to what others are going through. I love this. Jesus still serves others in their pain while managing his own suffering. It could be real easy for me this week and maybe even for you not to watch, for me not to be on stage and to say, man, I just need a week just to process what I'm going through. But instead, by the power of the Holy Spirit, God has caused us to serve, right? He gives us a joy that is lasting and that is pure, that empowers us to still reach out to people and point to the living hope that we have in God. So question, what did Jesus do in his alone time, we see that he departs, uh, he gets to a desolate place. Well, what did he do? Well, this chapter actually gives us an insight on what Jesus would do when he needed his alone time. And in, in Matthew 14, verse 23, it says, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, All right? So when I say, uh, find space. I'm not trying to say just go into isolation for isolation's sake. Be intentional about your isolation. Jesus went away to what? To pray, to get alone, and to be with the Father, right? We see this again in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. It says, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. This is huge, huge point for us. Listen, if Jesus had to pray, chose to pray, I think it will be beneficial for us to do the same. Now, some of you, you're already early risers, so maybe this hack would be um, easier for you than those who like to stay up late and get up a little bit later. But here's huge. What if you just try this week to get up a little bit earlier? If you live by yourself, this is easier. If you have a family, rise before they are. Maybe it's still dark, as the scriptures just said, and spend some time with the Father and to pray, right? That's one of the things I'm trying to practice during this time, getting up super early. What does that mean? I have to sacrifice not watching that show as, as late as I usually would. But I get up super early before my wife is up, before my kids are up some days, and I just spend time with the Father. I just pray. Some of you may need that time to pray. Some of you may need that time to write, to process, to, to think. Maybe you're in between work. You need to just strategize. But as the demands of the world rise, as the sun rises, what if you beat the sun and spent some time thinking, praying, processing it? What's another hack here as we try to find space and create time? Well, if you're driving by yourself, this is an opportune time to pray. 
It could be so easy to try to drown out your, your worries and concerns by listening to ESPN radio or listening to some music, but I encourage you to put on some worship. I encourage you to spend some time talking to the Father. Take advantage of those times. Create space. And the reason why I'm, I'm a big proponent of early in the morning, one pastor put it this way. Um, he was talking to his children, I believe, and they said, Dad, I, I actually like it um, at night to spend some time with the Father, to read and to pray and to think. And he wasn't um, saying that that was a bad thing, but this is what he challenged his kids. He said, I think it's better to wake with God, to live with what he's talking to you throughout the day, than to read and then sleep on it. Right? So I'm not trying to change your, 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 your quiet times or your spiritual rhythms, but I am trying to encourage those looking for ways to even go deeper or to be um, more, more intentional about it, to spend some time early in the morning, get alone, and actually wake with him, be with him throughout the whole day. So number one, feel. Number two, find space. Find some space. And number three, focus. Focus. Focus on what hasn't changed. Well, where am I getting at? Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16 reads, Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Feel, number one. Two, find space. Number three, focus on what hasn't changed. Focus on what hasn't changed. Here's some things that hasn't changed, ready? Jesus is still our high priest, hasn't changed. Jesus, our champion, hasn't changed. The throne of grace hasn't changed. Our confidence in him, our confidence to approach Jesus shouldn't change. We being able to receive mercy hasn't changed. We being able to find grace hasn't changed. We being able to receive help in our time of need hasn't changed. Right? Um, now, I've heard this said a lot, and I understand what people are thinking. I just believe the Christian um, has a better option. And this is what I mean. I've heard it said, hey, right now what you must do is focus only on the things that you can control, which is true. I understand that. There's some value in that. But I believe that the Bible offers us something a little bit better, honestly, a lot better. Instead of us just solely focusing on what we can control, let's focus on who's in control, right? Because what you can control can change, right? But Jesus, right, our Father, the rock, God himself, the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, forever, right? Focus on not just what you can control, sure, responsibility, think of your choices, but focus on who is in control, which leads me to something pretty tough. Is God in control right now? With all the pain, all the suffering and the stress, the question deep down on the inside that you have to ask yourself as a believer, is God in control? Is he sovereign? And the answer to that is yes, is yes. Now I would love to take some time and to kind of explain the, the sovereignty of God um, and the suffering of the believer and of the world, but I believe someone has done it a little bit better. And 
what I would like you for, for you to do is to go to desiringgod.com and um, there's a free resource available. John Piper wrote a book specifically about Christ and the coronavirus. And it's an amazing read and it's free, right? And the best nation is donation. So you don't have to pay, right? Download it. If you are not a reader and you, you're more of an audio, the audio book is free as well. I'm telling you, as I listened and read this week, it reminded me of the beauty of God, how he's in control and how my focus should be on him. So again, as I close, let me begin with this. Let me close with the scripture that we began with. John chapter 10, verse 10 reads, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Yes, we do have an enemy. Yes, the prince of the power of the air is Satan. Yes, he does have um, some reach, some power right now, but I still believe he's on a leash. I still believe that God is in control. And, and the God that we know, that we see in the text, this Jesus comes to earth and says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So what are the three ways that you can not just survive, not just get through this time, but to actually thrive, be faithful and be fruitful during this time? Again, number one, I need you to feel. Ask yourself, do an inventory of yourself right now. How are you feeling? What's going on in your heart and in your mind? Physically, how are you? Emotionally, how are you? Spiritually, how are you? Number one, feel. Number two, find space. To the mom that's out there, your identity is in Christ, not how well your kids are doing right now. They'll be okay. You can just put your kids to the side for at least 15 minutes, right? Put on something on the TV. I know some of you are not going to like that or give them a book. Spend some time for you. Find some space. Spend some time talking to the Father. And number three, focus on what hasn't changed. And that takes discipline. It's so easy right now to get distracted. And I believe that at least for me this week, the times that when I was discouraged most is when I was distracted. When I allowed what, like as Peter, the, the winds and the wave to, to take my eyes off Christ as I was focused on budgets, as I was focused on transition, as I was focused on all these other things, I was distracted from what's also true during this time. God is for us. In Christ, God is for us, with us, right? We have this great high priest. We have this throne that we can approach daily, minute by minute, moment by moment, second by second. And what I noticed was I, I began to think a lot and I've been journaling a lot, but I really wasn't praying a lot. I just wasn't opening my mouth and just spending some time with the Father saying, Father, help me. I need you. This isn't magic. This isn't three steps to a better life. I just believe it's three things that we can offer you this week that hopefully will provide a little help and a little comfort. And so we've been talking about prayer a lot. Let's pray together. Last week we didn't do it intentionally, but this week I want us to close in a way that we've been closing with a prayer that we say together as a body. It will come up on your screen. Pray with me. Here it is. Let's pray. Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, please give us. What we are not, please make us. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen and amen.